Blog Talk Radio. Hey everybody, it's your girl Cy Brown and I am so happy to come before you today. We have an amazing topic today, charter or public, is it really about the children? This is a very hot and contested debate in school districts all around the country, especially since uh, public schools are cutting back. One of the things I've, I've shared with you many times on the show um, is that I live in New Jersey and teachers are being laid off and school budgets are being slashed. And so now what happens is, is these charter schools come in, they are run with public money, but they are funded, excuse me, with public money and run privately. And so a lot of people are saying, you know, parents and educators and legislators uh, alike are all wondering if this is the most viable and effective way to educate our children. We have a wonderful guest. Her name is Sylvia Tyler. She's a retired New York City public school teacher, and she is going to weigh in on this conversation. The chat room is open, so I welcome the opportunity to chat with you. Just log on to Blog Talk Radio forward slash Cy Brown Live and click the chat button. You can listen to Cy Brown Live weekdays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time or anytime on the web to hear topics of interest and things that really are affecting our community, trending hot topics, and I'm just really grateful that Sylvia is joining us today. So without further ado, I'm going to bring Ms. Sylvia Tyler in on the line. Sylvia, are you with us today? Yes, I am. I'm right here. I am so glad that you're on the show. Welcome to Cy Brown Live. We talked a little bit behind the scenes, and it's just good to have you with us because this is an area of major concern, is it not? Oh, absolutely. Most people have to go through public education. Everybody needs to get an education, whether you can afford a private one, but most people have to rely on the public education system. Well, it's so funny, a young man who I know, he's 21 years old, he just had uh, a a daughter, actually, uh, a couple days ago, I would say probably about a week ago, and one of the things I uh, said to him is, you really need to start looking for a school now, and he said, oh, we're just going to send her to the local public school, and I said, well, that's good if you live in an area where there would be a, a, a relatively decent public school, but for a lot of people... That's not an option, and I was sharing with him how people move to school districts and pay taxes and all of these things just to get their kids in a relatively decent school. But if you're of a lower income status, those are not viable options. So what do, you, what do we do in that situation? Well, I've, in my experience, 28 years working as a public school teacher, and I would say the last five, six years after retirement, I've sub a lot whenever I uh, get a call that I want to take. And I've gone to many different schools. There are are and have always been excellent and very good public schools. So I would say to anyone, start early, get to know your school and your district, Mm -hmm. shop around, find a public school to get your uh, education because they're out there, the good public schools. Save your money for college. That would be my advice. Well, uh, I want to say this. Just as a New York City educator, were you in public schools in the city of Manhattan or one of the outer boroughs? I was in um, the Bronx for half, well, for about 13 years of my time and the other 15 in Harlem, District 5 in Harlem. 
and do District you, 10 in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Do you feel there's a, dis- a distinction between education in the Bronx and in Manhattan? You know, there, there are good schools in both places. Uh, in District 10, the northern schools, especially the ones that went up to Riverdale, in the Riverdale area, mm-hmm. they were the better schools. And, and what makes a school um, more able to focus on education is when children are sent to school regularly, uh, ready to be educated. They're talked to, they're read, they're read to as young children, mm-hmm. They children that travel and, and do things and talk about the things that they do, as opposed to maybe families that aren't able to provide these kinds of experiences, then the school has to take on uh, things that maybe the, hopefully that the family can do. And of course, you can't take on all those all those jobs. There's certain things the schools absolutely can't do that the families need to do. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you very honestly, my son will be 21, and I talk about my kids a lot on the show. One of the reasons we put him in Catholic school when he started school was this. My mom focused heavily on education as I was growing up. So okay. I was a big proponent of early childhood education, early childhood intervention, even though I was a teenage single mom. And so I put a lot of effort and energy into ed- properly educating my son. And where we lived was a town, I'll tell you, in Jersey City, New Jersey, and this was many years ago, where the school systems were not, where the school system, the public school system was not that great. Okay. So. I made a conscious decision that I couldn't fathom putting my son in a public school with other children whose parents may not have put forth the same effort as I did. I felt I spent the first four years reading stories and having nap time and all of these things, and then to put him in a public school where I can see it's not an elitist position where you can just open your eyes and see that other young children did not have, were not afforded those same, I would not even consider it, dare I say, luxuries. But at that point, I said, we can't do this. What are our options? And we, and I could not, his father and I could not afford private, so we put him in a Catholic school. What do parents do if that's not even an option, if that option's not even on the table? Well, I would say they have to find the best public school if they absolutely the Catholic schools have shut down. It's not like they right. have all these open seats. And the Catholic school always has the option to um, send the child out of, you know, kick them out of their school and send them right. out to the public. If they're really so much of a, a problem with discipline or whatever, the the parents have to do what you do, did. You're the kind of parent that teaches love parents that do really pay attention to their children's education, do things with them, and really send a child who's ready to be educated to our classroom. That's that's what we love. But they have to find the best available education. And, and charter schools aren't really that available because they only, at this point in New York, uh, before the ex- lift in the cap, they only uh, educated about 3% of 
the total school population. Now, now mm-hmm. with the cap lifted, it might go to 6 or 7%. So we still have more than 90% of our public school children needing to go to public schools. Right. Well, I have to say, full disclosure, I sat on the board of a charter school, and I saw how certain policies were put in place to almost guarantee higher test scores and higher statistical rankings across the board based on certain internal policies that I thought were actually slightly unfair. And I don't I would definitely not say all charter schools engage in this, but what happens is they use the statistics, the test scores, the the statistics, the discipline reports as leverage to say charter schools work. They are funded with public money, but they are run without any public input at all. They are run by private boards and more often than not, for-profit companies. And I'll tell you what our charter school did is they made the application process so grueling that just because the application process was so challenging, it automatically weeded out lazy I say that word very loosely, audience, Mm -hmm. parents, parents that were either not capable mentally or not willing to go through the process, their children, just by virtue of them not taking necessary steps, were never even factored in. So what happens is when you had a lot of parents who were paying private school, Catholic school money for their children, said, wait a minute, all I have to do is da-da-da-da-da-da-da to get my kid in. So when the school first opened, they had the creme de la creme kids. So when it was time to do the testing and time to do these third-grade tests, eighth-grade tests, and and kindergarten tests, the the scores were through the roof. But it was not an actual indicator because you were extracting the absolute best children from public schools or other types of institutions. And so it skewed the statistics. And as the years went on and I saw this, I was like, wait a minute, I don't know if this is right. And that's one one of the... mechanisms that charter schools use to say their schools work, but over time it's not a sustainable educational model. How do you feel about that? I I absolutely agree with you. And um, I wasn't aware of how grueling, this is the first time I'm really hearing about the grueling application process for admission, but I'm not surprised because that the most diligent hands-on parents will go through that entire process. Other parents will get discouraged and they'll they'll drop off. So they that's easy for people to sit down and figure that out. Also, I do know that big money, uh, people with a lot of money have financed charter schools. Mm-hmm. And uh, reading Diane Ravish's latest book, she described it from step-by-step, step, going back to when they wanted to... Uh, the, they had they wanted to privatize well put schools public schools in some private that can be managed by some private the edison uh, edison is uh, one of them it sure yeah, is edison and that didn't work here in harlem but these people changed their tactics and they went to charter schools now i'm not going to like damn and condemn charter schools but i'm just going to say people should open their eyes and look clearly at charter schools and open their eyes and look clearly at public schools because they have they are and they have always been 
successful public schools. And on the uh, issue of testing, that's one of the ways that people have been distracted uh, by making that as the main criteria when it isn't. I haven't taught many years. There were years when we teachers could see the tests were easier, mm-hmm. and there were years when they were more difficult. So the test people who who write those tests are private uh, con- companies. They have relationships with people who let them know, okay, let we want to prove our political point or whatever this year. So when they want to attack the public schools, the test might be harder, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, I always took the test with my, my students. And, by the way, when I taught the last maybe 10 years that I taught, I taught the uh, talented and gifted sixth grade in mm-hmm. a Harlem school. So those children were the most, uh, uh, came from families that were most more hands-on. Mm-hmm. So they had the higher test scores, mm-hmm. you know. So... I know if you if you cherry pick and pack a class, exactly. I mean, if I was able to go and pick all the well-behaved uh, children who like to read and mm-hmm. who maybe have good, they, they have a sense of good health, they eat properly, more mm-hmm. properly, they don't eat a lot of junk, they get enough rest, they, they go on vacation, they have things to talk about, they have experiential uh, conversations. Of course, if I could pick Students just like that, I could have a wonderful class. But mm-hmm. no, if you you have to, all those children maybe who don't have, who don't have that support at home, they need their education too, mm-hmm. and they need you even more. So you know, there, there are. If if you cherry pick, of course you can have great results. But the test scores should not be the only criteria. I mean, it, tests are valuable to an extent, but you shouldn't. It shouldn't be the end all be all as if that tells everything. No, I totally I totally agree with you. And you know what's so funny? I was always in gifted and talented classes and I remember and this is funny, I'm I'm a grown up grown up, but I remember them telling my grandmother when I was in second grade, so you're about seven years old, um well uh, the situation, I remember the situation. Uh, I kept moving from class to class between first and second grade. And it was because, looking back, that the principal and my teacher, and I'll never forget my third-grade teacher, Ms. Holcomb, told my grandmother to get me out of that public school. They had me in the highest classes that they could for first, second, and third grade, and it still wasn't academically challenging enough. Mm-hmm. And they were like, if you don't move her now, you're she's going to get lost. And it's definitely not that I'm the brightest kid to ever touch down but i but because my parents made certain decisions i see the economic i mean the educational disparity which does tie into economics actually disparity between the way young people are educated and then as i became a parent of two students who are extremely average my kids mm-hmm. really just do what they have to do to get through and they're average it makes it really breaks my heart to see how our educational system and the school system in general is really not equipped to properly educate the diversity or the learning abilities of all of our students. And it just blows my mind, like, how are we one of the superpowers in the world and we can't figure out how to 
teach a child who may be ADD or teach a child that ex- it, it, that has the capability to really excel. I, I just don't get it. And I don't feel outsourcing our education to private institutions is really the best way. No. We do have the resources and the capability, but that's not where the people who make the decisions want to put the resources. This is true. Yeah, valid point. And the parents need to have more input. They need to have their hands on seeing that their children are as ready as they can have them. And they also should definitely meet all of their children's teachers and the administration. They should work with their schools, Mm -hmm. not just go when they have a problem. Right. But just consider their school as having a hand in helping to raise their children prepare them for life as an adult, and, you know, work with their schools. That would make a lot of difference. I I totally agree. I totally – and then here's – you know, here's one of the the positions that I take on that. At what point do you feel economics really plays a major role? (coughs) Well, economics is a very – has a very uh, major role to play, but even in, in the the um, say economically uh, the lower economic uh, communities, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of money spent on education, but it's not necessarily geared uh, spent in the best way to get the best results in terms of educating children and and you know working with families. Mm-hmm. It's um there each new like each new entity that comes in always brings in their their people new reading programs, math programs, textbooks, so all those millions of dollars is spent on an old system in New York go out go in the closets and they bring in their new one. I mean that's what I experienced and that's not a new phenomenon. This mm-hmm. has been going on before. But now you have the the uh, factor where educators are not the ones that are running the show, and and that's because educators are not uh, truly considered professionals that should uh, be at uh, at the table making decisions about how uh, they uh, structure curriculum, et cetera, et cetera. What what they prioritize, they don't give educators a seat at the table. Bloomberg absolutely does not, speaking of New York City, and Klein is not an educator. (laughs) Well, I have to read a comment. I have a very dear friend who I went to high school with. And and for the record, um, I actually graduated from a New York City public high school, and I also attended... um, a New York City private school, a, a, a very prestigious private school in New York City. So I, I can really, really speak on uh, different aspects of this. But my friend, she and I attended public high school in New York City today, and she has three children. She lives by Ground Zero um, in Manhattan, and she has been very vocal about her disdain for Mayor Bloomberg and Klein. And so she sent me a message on Facebook, so I just want to read very quickly the comment that she um, that she put up on Facebook. It says, um, 
One of the most important differences is that the city has no domain over charters within the city but uses city funds. The New York State Department of Education and Regents presides over charters. One problem that stems from that is that New York City taxpayers, some of whom are also public school parents, are having to share funding and are also having their schools shut down so charters may be reopened in their place. She is really just all over the news and, you know, at board meetings, and I know she's the head of a couple parent organizations, because what's happening in New York City is, is really um, disgraceful, how the schools are closing and the rezoning. Can you speak a little bit to that? Well, uh, let me see. What I know, and it's from the media and a little bit inside, I know that, that Bloomberg being the, um, you know, they – they gave him uh it's permanent that the mayor has control of the schools mm-hmm. and uh he um just decided to close nineteen schools yep, but they he lost that case in court, but it's not like he's gonna sit back and accept that he's gonna still try to manipulate and and um try to maybe get some of those schools closed and maybe the schools where the parents are really involved and work with their educators, they won't succeed. But in some of those 19 schools, I'm sure he's going to succeed. But So I, I agree with your friend, and she sounds like someone I would definitely like to know and work with. Oh, yes. My friend Maya is amazing. She's okay. really, really good. And she's and, But an issue is co uh what do they call co occupation or something. It's where charter schools Yes. Uh move into into the public schools. They get a floor, say in a yes. public school and, and Klein is very much for this. And I don't know, is it all right to say the name of a former city council person? Who Absolutely, and I will tell you, they just did that to my high school. They just did that to my high school in the Chelsea section of Manhattan where they have relinquished floors and another school is actually operating and now my high school is supposedly closing at the end of next year. Right, but if you say whoever you need to say on the show because Eva we need Moskowitz to address these is issues. One, a very, very effective charter school person and she has uh, a collection of charter schools in Harlem and she's moving to the Bronx. I'm, I'm sure she's uh, going to open up schools. I think they open up and they open up the month early in August, sometime in August. Now the thing is, from what I see, they, they, um, like you say, they they get private. They operate it privately, but they also get public money because each right. child, at least, each child from the public school that goes to their school, they um, that money, whatever the the is in the budget for an individual child that goes to them, but they also get other monies from the Bloomberg administration. And I I'm, I don't know exactly how it all flushes out, mm-hmm. but there's public monies. And like someone like Eva Moskowitz, her salary was reported like two years ago of upwards of $400,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And they, try, they say that that comes from private. But here's the thing about Bloomberg being in charge of the public schools. He doesn't, the transparency and accountability is very lax. I mean, of course it is. Absolutely it, it is. The new, uh, the new state uh, law put in more accountability and transparency, but it was general. And, of course, you have wealthy people have very smart lawyers to of course. sit down and figure out how to circumvent 
and, and move around any regulation that they want to move around. And when you have a population that is uninformed and pretty much uninvolved, I mean, just sending your children to school every day and then tell them, you know, they come home and you, you see that they do their homework, that's very uh, good. But we live in a society where people have to be more involved Absolutely. And in, in, in their education, and, and, and they need to learn a lot of stuff. I mean, you, it, you need to learn how the budget work. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. And I, in a way, I, I understand why people are, are exhausted when they look at the big picture. They, mm-hmm. they get exhausted and, and frustrated. But it's necessary. I mean, we everybody counts on the public school system, and, and everybody says that education is very important, very, they value it, they want good education for their children, but, and society says that as a, in general, you wouldn't get any uh, elected official or any business person to say, oh, I don't care about education. It's right, not they're not going to do it. They're not going to say that because Never. education is important. And it's, I think about the money. That's one point that Diane Ravage made that it's a big part of the federal budget. These are number two or three. The first part is, of course, the military budget. That's the biggest right. item on the budget. Education is either number two or number three. And a lot of all these people who have a lot of money want to make more money. Absolutely. So they found ways to tap into the public school education money, and I think that's the motive behind some of the charter schools, not necessarily the individual who says, oh, I want to start a charter school. They may be very um, altruistic altruistic, and, and sincere about creating an education environment for their mm-hmm. finite set of children, but the people that are up above them, sponsoring them, promoting this across the country, they they don't, they're not altruistic. No, not, at, not at, at all. Okay, how can we get our hands on some of this money? Well, that's, that's basically what it boils down to. As we start to wind down today's show, you're listening to Sylvia Tyler, who's a retired New York City public school teacher right here on Cy Brown Live, and we're talking about pu- the public and charter debate. But I will share this with you. I know we got a, just under $10,000 per child with 500 students. It's a $5 million budget, and this is a, a conversation that I think is definitely worth continuing. So I'm hoping, Sylvia, you find it in your heart to come back to the show so we can really um, extend this and have a much more lengthy debate. Is that cool with you? Absolutely. Oh, abs- thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And I think there's a way that we're going to have to uh, extend this conversation, bring in some more educators, bring in some principals and some more teachers, because this is really worth exploring, especially since the schools the schools will be going back to school, many of the charter schools, within the next uh, month. So thank you, everybody, for listening. You're listening to Cy Brown Live weekdays at 12 noon Eastern Standard Time and anytime on the web at CyBrownLive.com. Always remember we shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that we can do or any kindness that we can show to any human being, let us do it now. Let us not defer or neglect it, for we shall not pass this way again. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow at 12 noon. Again, it was Sylvia Tyler, retired school teacher in New York City, and uh, we have some more great stuff coming this week. Talk to you later. Peace.